Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 102, released on June 26, 2013, the same month as Man of Steel is released. Now, my name is Steve Yunus, and joining me for this special edition, this Man of Steel edition of the Radio KAL podcast is my good friend and uh, pro Man of Steel man, just like me, Scotty V. Hello, Steve. How's it going? Good. Uh, since our last podcast, we've actually met in person once again. Absolutely, it was uh, it was a it was a fantastic little trip, and, and uh, you you were uh, you were jumping all over the United States on this little <laughs> journey. Yeah, just uh, got back from doing the Superman celebration in Metropolis, Illinois, and then uh, hop, skip, and a jump over to New York City where you and I and Jeffrey Taylor and Rennie Cowan and my sister Carolyn all met up for the world premiere of Man of Steel uh, on June 10th. And this is the first time we've got to chat uh, for the podcast since uh, seeing the film. I've seen it multiple times now. Actually, as we're recording this, it's a Monday afternoon. Uh, I'm going to the Australian premiere uh, this evening for Man of Steel, which has not yet been released in Australia. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. I'm excited for you. Ah, thank you. It uh, <laughs> won't be as lavish as the uh, New York world premiere, which uh, you and I both enjoyed. What did you think uh, of that event, uh, you know, just even the after party and all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, we, uh, we were, we were uh, treated to uh, just, I mean, something I've never been a part of mm. before. Um, you know, being able to be there and, and kind of watch the, the stars of the film come in and, and see them sit down before the movie. It was a rainy day in New York City. It was mm-hmm. pouring off and on. And uh, I think I, I have a feeling that it's possible that the red carpet and the entrance of all the stars might have been uh, outside and kind of open a little more than it was, but I think they they uh, were either last minute or realized first thing in the morning that they needed to set up enclosed tents because it was going to be pouring. And mm-hmm. so um, we were kind of on the outside of that, which was unfortunate, but we did get to see them uh, through the windows from a distance, kind of blocked by a lot of other uh, photographers and, and news people. And of course, uh, my understanding, and I haven't seen a whole lot of it, is that the entire event was uh, was broadcast live and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the um, interviews and um, video stuff of, of, of the stars talking and answering questions and their excitement was all visible to fans uh, around the globe uh, via the internet. Yeah, and uh, then as you said, they uh, walked into the cinema where we were already seated uh, on the top tier front row uh, we could see, look down from the balcony and see them as they uh, took their seats. Then the movie started. We'll be talking about that uh, in this podcast. But then afterwards, uh, we were uh, taken by courtesy buses to the after party uh, uptown of uh, in, uh, in New York and uh, got to meet some of the uh, the celebrities there. Uh, Russell Crowe didn't go to the after party, which was a shame for me. I wanted to, to talk to him as a fellow Australian. But we did get to speak to Henry Cavill. Yes, we did. And he was uh, very gracious in his praise of, of your life's work. <laughs> I don't know about my life's work, but it's been uh, many years of hard work. And uh, everybody in who, who contributes to the website uh, can uh, bask in the glory the fact to the fact that Henry Cavill tell, told us and those around us were able to hear him say that the only Superman website uh, that he visits, the only Superman fan site that he visits is the Superman homepage and that he thanked us for all our hard work 
and thought that we were very honest and uh, in our approach, uh, so which was uh, very nice of him to say. It is very nice, and hopefully it has uh, you know that measure of truth that you look for when someone gives you a compliment like that. Um, I will say that I, although I was there, I was having difficulty with my flash the entire day. <laughs> um, I could not get you know I brought this expensive camera with an expensive flash that takes wonderful pictures, and I wasn't able to get the flash to work all day long. You know, Steve even took the camera and tried to get it to work, and <laughs> we, we just couldn't make it work. And then uh, I was you know I wanted to get a good picture with a nice flash of all of us with Henry Cavill. And so when the conversation was taking place, I was kind of behind everyone and not even paying that much attention to what was going on because I was smashing the flash and trying to get it to work. And so I actually, in all honesty, did not hear Henry Cavill say that he likes the Superman homepage and that it's the only one he visits. So although I cannot lend my... Um, a uh, witness account to that having happened. There are many, many other people who were around and who did hear it. And so I am certain that we can be sure that it was something that the gentleman said. Now, did you get the flash fixed? Did you work it out? <laughs> well, after I got home when it was no longer needed, certainly. Uh, it was almost as if I walked through the door and there was a magical uh, uh, oh, beacon from somewhere that just turned it on and it started working just so that I could be laughed at. Um, actually, at some point, one of the dials got switched and it was no longer on flash so ah. somehow even all of us looking at it did not uh and i didn't bump i didn't move it or change it so i didn't even think to possibly look at that because i just assumed that everything there was set the way it was supposed to be set and it's not my camera yeah so i'm not i'm not even that familiar with i'm not really a photographer i take good pictures when i'm taking them but i'm not really a photographer in terms yeah. of knowing cameras and knowing what's going on so uh, what a, a lot of our pictures that you are seeing are cell phone pictures and mm -hmm. i do have some that were taken with the camera, one of the ones I uh, uploaded not too long ago of uh, an actual uh, really good shot of Henry Cavill. I waited until a flash from someone else's camera <laughs> was going and I took the shot and it came out really well. He's not looking straight on at me because he was looking at another camera, but it's actually a, a pretty good shot. So, uh, cool. you know, uh, some things I guess kind of worked out, but I mean, the after party was phenomenal. It was, uh, you know, uh, it's just some of the marketing I guess that I see that goes into a film like this you know they had this beautiful bar set up with a, a glass case containing the uh, Superman uniform mm -hmm. and 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 uh, free drinks and free food and they had multiple tables desserts food you know they were, were skilleting things grilling things up right in front of you they were they had salads they had uh, this little photo area where you could take pictures um, and then and, and they gave away um, uh, Nokia uh, portable chargers, chargers yeah. uh, and and this is you know not that a billion people were there but the amount of people that were taken and and on and all treated to this uh, uh, for free um, is it was pretty impressive uh, was. to me and yeah and you know and and yes uh, seeing Henry Cavill I did shake his hand you guys I think had more of a conversation than what I was privy to because I was too busy messing with the camera but um, he uh, he seemed very gracious and 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 very willing to talk now there was a point when we walked up the in the first place where uh, each of the each of the celebrities was kind of spaced throughout the room in different areas and in general they had a bunch of people 
quote unquote regular people sitting around them. And then in addition to that, there was a, I don't know if you'd call it a bodyguard, but some form of security, a man standing there kind of on the outside. And when we initially approached, we were told that Henry was done for a while and and that he was just going to be relaxing and enjoying the party. But it didn't take very long after that point. I don't know if this was Henry's doing or if he was just going to do this anyway, but he kind of he kind of got up not too long after that. And I think we were the second or third um, to to get to talk to him and, and take our shot with him at that time. Mm. Also, I uh, managed to speak to David Goya, the screenwriter of the film, who said that he uh, used the website a number of times to, you know, to look up references. Uh, I got to speak to Zack Snyder, who was familiar with the site and... Uh, said he looked forward to catching up with me or seeing me again in, in Sydney for the Australian premiere. We'll see if that's the case tonight. And you and I got to speak to Alison Crowe, who is, uh, makes a cameo appearance in the film. She's a uh, singer-songwriter who is uh, in the bar scene uh, singing Ring of Fire, the, the classic song um, in the movie, and uh, was uh, very gracious to speak to us. She's a big fan of the website, big comic book and gaming fan and uh, was happy to to spend a number of minutes chatting with us she uh she was incredibly gracious and incredibly friendly uh you know i i think i said to her there which may have come across well or may not have she was cute as a button i mean she really (laughs) was uh she had a smile from ear to ear she was thrilled to be a part of the event she was thrilled that she was recognized she loved being talked to and she talked for you know she talked to us for for a decent amount of time. You know, Steve had already been over there, and uh, knowing how friendly and how nice she was, he he uh, offered to take me back over. We went right back over. She stood up. She hugged both of us. She was uh, very just open and and uh, and happy to be involved and happy to be uh, being talked to. Whereas some of the other celebrities, whom I don't necessarily think aren't friendly but they're they're so used to being barraged i think by tons of people on the street and not even being able to enjoy a quiet dinner and not being able to go out on their own that it's a different kind of life for them and they're mm. at a point where they kind of need to have some sort of barrier and so they're not really available to have a 20 minute conversation with you uh but uh Allison, who is, as you say, a fan and, and I think was just thrilled to be a part of the, the movie to begin with, um, was just excited to, 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 to be involved in all of it. And um, she was very nice to us and, 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 and uh, had a great conversation with her. We talked about uh, the, the website, the, the film itself, the character, and, and how great it was that uh, she, she there were these rumors that she might be Kara, and, and mm. she was excited about that, and she saw the article when you posted it, and she was reading some of the comments, and uh, she she was just excited that, that uh, all of this was kind of um, revolving around her uh, for this little cameo that she does. Mm. Now we've got uh, an upcoming, it might be on the website when you're hearing this, exclusive interview with Alison Crowe about her whole cameo appearance in the movie, so look for that on the website. Let's uh, get into our discussions about the movie itself. Uh, let's start with talking about Krypton. What did you think of Russell Crowe? Um, what did you think of Ayelet Zura the, and the whole Kryptonian scene? Well, I, I will say that uh, even though Russell Crowe wasn't at the um, after party, Ayelet mm-hmm. Zura was walking around in the building we were in, mm-hmm. so uh, she actually walked past me at one point, and on screen, she's she's regal 
and she reminds me of, of like a queen, even though Jorel and, and Lara aren't ruling anybody. They're not royals uh, in mm -hmm. general. But the way they're presented on screen, you, you get the impression that that she's almost like a queen, and of course she's she's very um, uh, distraught about having to send Kal-el away. And and but when you see her in person, she's glamorous in terms of, um, but but also more diminutive than you would expect. Mm. And I felt the same way about Amy Adams when we saw her at the after party. Something about being on a, I think a, uh, you know, a hundred foot tall by 900 foot wide screen <laughs> makes you seem larger than what you are uh, in, in person but yeah. in the film um, I feel like Lara and Jarrell were presented in a way that I have never seen them presented they were more Lara specifically because uh, I always have difficulty with the way they present a lot of the women in the Superman story, right. you know, in the, in the original Donner film, Laura was just kind of there to walk up holding the baby and hands it over to Jor-El. And part of that I'm sure is that it was Marlon Brando and he was the star and he was the one that was given all the dialogue. So the good thing here is that Isla Zurer gets to participate. She's in it. She has mm -hmm. dialogue. She has, she has a really kind of, heartbreaking and touching scene with the baby and 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 trying to wrap her mind around and her emotions around the idea that this has to be done and it's something that she hates doing but uh it, it's the only thing that makes sense obviously yeah we all know the planet's being destroyed so uh it's either die or send him off and and she's i love that they gave her i still feel like if i had one um criticism and there are several that I could make about the film this would be the biggest one and that is that I still feel like Martha and Lara are given short shrift mm, okay well I thought uh, the fact that Lara was the one who had to launch the rocket that you know it was up to her you know that she had a moral dilemma Zod was you know uh, pleading with her to you know do one thing and then she had the loyalty to her husband and you know the future of her son to to think about in her actions so uh, i thought that that was uh very you know uh like you said gave lara more of a role in the whole launching of their son to outer space um and yeah i thought that it was uh krypton itself was very um filled out you had complaints about you know the the donna version of the film being you know 100 people under a dome in a in a bleak um de desolate world where Krypton in this movie has animals, plant life, water, uh, you know, and uh, a rich and um, varied history. You definitely get more of a, a sense of scope. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it does seem. I still feel, and I'm hoping that with any sequels, that we're still we're going to get more of Krypton because the way they did it, and we're going to talk about the flashbacks later. But but the way they kind of jump around and the way they kind of show you some of the backstory, it's one of uh, a lot of complaints I'm hearing that there wasn't enough of an origin, there wasn't enough of a backstory. And mm. I'm perfectly okay, and I actually like the way they did it. And I hope this continues in any sequels. I would like to see. A lot of people are talking about let's see a prequel comic with yeah. Zod and and with. I would rather see more stuff in movie form. But I don't know if you're going to be able to get Russell Crowe and Michael Shannon back for a sequel but I think but but you know and also Kevin Costner and Diane Lane if they could all come back just as much time in the new film in a sequel I think should be spent on seeing more of that backstory finding out more about Krypton and, and finding out more about the council and how it came together and, and, and why it's kind of falling apart and, and what mistakes it made and 
and see how the relationship between Zod and, and Jor-El kind of became strained and, and what exactly went on there. I would like to see more of that. I will say that even though, and we've talked about this even before we saw the movie, that Krypton clearly is much more vibrant and living and, and, and feels more real and more like a planet filled with lots of life. We still only saw the same characters that we've always seen. We mm. saw the Council, we saw Jor-El, we saw Lara, and we saw Zod and friends. So I still don't have a sense of what kind of population there is. I right. still don't, you know, and I saw those eyeglass companies, um, uh, little posters that said, I think there was uh, 4 billion people or something living on Krypton, which is great, but I don't get a sense of there being communities. I don't get a sense of there being um, housing areas or even uh, uh, cities of any kind. I see Zod's little area or uh, Jor-El's little area and then I see the council and then I see ships flying around but I don't – I didn't really see anything that looked and, – and maybe they all live underground. I don't know where they live or what exactly is going on there. Well, I, I think I remember – I remember hearing something about them living underground because they've destroyed the surface area uh, which is OK. But uh, uh, that was the one thing I felt like I was hoping to get out of this that I didn't get out of the original um, origin story on film, the Donner film. That that I, my complaint was that you mentioned before that there's only 40 people living in a dome and and you know that's it and it's a crystal ice planet. Um, I still feel like that could be the case here based on what we saw, um, even though we know that there are ships and there's a military, so it's a little more rounded out. But I would still like to I would have still liked to have seen at least the idea that we knew mothers and fathers and children and families and schools and and were dying when this planet died. Right, yeah, and I, you know, I would definitely like to see more of a, uh, even like a prequel comic or movie about uh, the Krypton and, like you said, the relationships between Zod and and Jor-el, and the whole fleshing out of that story. I was a little bit confused about the Codex and what that skull was. That you know, but I'm guessing that's like an ancestor or the original, you know, Kryptonian or whatever it might be that the DNA of all these different children are being spawned from and, you know, being developed, you know, into their individual roles within the Kryptonian society. Um, I, that kind of confused me a little bit. I would have liked to have seen that explained a little bit more. Yeah, they don't really do any particular explaining of that. My take on it was that the codex itself, which was encoded with living DNA samples, needed to be kept alive on a piece of living material. So this skull was, by the energy of the tomb that it was in, the energy of the chamber that it was in, was kept alive even though it was, you know, however many thousands of years old. And imprinted on that skull was the information for the DNA for, you know, building new Kryptonians. It mm. sounds like they, 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 when they, you know, if you've read the prequel comic, they sent out thousands of scout ships uh, because they, they wanted to populate other worlds with Kryptonians and the idea was that when they got there, they would use the Codex and and these birthing chambers to make an army of Kryptonians that could then populate the planet and that they could spread the race throughout the galaxy. In the film, we find out that that went horribly wrong and that everyone died and that nothing was successful because they lost contact with the mother planet. Uh, and I'd like to hear more about that as well, mm. but I think the idea was, and it was vague. That, that that DNA was needed to be on living tissue. And so when Jorel took the skull, it was probably probably only had a, a shelf life in his hand 
of a few minutes or hours before that would decay mm. because it was no longer a part of the energy room that it was in. And so that that when he imprinted it into Kal-El's DNA, it then kept it alive because now it's in a living host. And I think that that's what that was about. But I'm not exactly sure then how the scout ships would take it and be able to use it with the birthing chambers to use on other planets that they were going to populate. And I'm not sure exactly how that translates to Zod needing Kal-El and needing the birthing chamber and what exactly happened there. Though I am certain, and I have had discussions with other people who disagree with me, that, and we haven't gotten to this point in our discussion yet, but that there were no living babies in the scout ship that Clark found and mm. then decided to destroy and right, kill. Yep. yep, I understood that too. Now, then we, you know, Kal-El comes to Earth, and instead of continuing the story of, of, you know, the baby being found on Earth, they jump ahead uh, to the adult Cal Clark Kent on a fishing boat, which was, I thought, a very interesting way of, you know, of uh, going about the movie and seeing his childhood through flashbacks of Clark as an adult travelling around the world, seeking some answers about where he's from, what he's... You know, mission is what he's why he's been sent here, where he's really from, um, and using his flashback, like him thinking back to his childhood, for us to understand what happened to young Clark Kent, what happened to the baby, how he grew up, uh, the Kents, all that kind of stuff. This is an area where I have also I, I have heard people say I wish they would have just done a straightforward origin mm -hmm. story where we could have had 45 minutes of him growing up with the Kents in Smallville. And I think this is an, an area where the filmmakers and the writers wanted to do something different mm. than what we have seen. And also an answer to the people who've said we've seen origins over and over again. We've seen this you know, same story. Why do we need to start from the beginning again? And though we did start from the beginning and this was an origin story, this was done in a way that was different from other ways that it has been done. And I really think it was effective. I think I could agree that we might have liked to see more of maybe Baby Clark, more of the younger stuff with the Kents, more, um, I don't know, scenes of stuff that happened in his life. But in terms of the film that we were presented with, I think we were given the slices that we needed to understand some decisions that were made and things that happened. Mm. Well, there was a scene that they cut from the movie because they felt like it didn't uh, fit in with the uh, feelings that w were needed at the time of the Kents taking a baby Kal-El to a pediatrician for his shots or whatever, and then he, you know, screams and the, the windows of the whole place, you know, shattered and what have you. And they felt that that coming straight after the death of and destruction of Krypton felt kind of out of place and so instead they went straight to the um the you know Kal-El or Clark sorry on the fishing boat um as a means of uh bridging that gap uh so we may see that on a DVD or Blu-ray as a bonus extra material but uh yeah I'm with you I think it was an interesting way of doing it I like the flashbacks I thought the flashbacks that we got were enough to tell the story of young Clark Kent of him growing up of you know having to hide his powers of the arguments he had with Jonathan Kent about, you know, not being able to do the things that he wants to be able to do, what he thinks that he needs to do, and and um, I quite liked, you know, while Jonathan was more of a stern uh, father, not necessarily the loving Pa Kent that 
you know, uh, you know the, that we've seen in the past. He was definitely still loving, but in a tough love kind of way about, you know, look, the world's not ready. You really need to, you know, pull your head in and, and be a bit more uh, responsible about hiding your powers and, um, you know, and, and not revealing them to the world. Yeah, I think that this was one a point of contention for a lot of people. It felt at times like he wasn't um, the Jonathan that people wanted to see or expected to see or feel is intrinsic to the story. And that being the, this this father who clearly wants to help other people and wants Clark to help other people and, and gives him that sense of responsibility. And the, you do have to help people where that whole maybe line that that everybody was uproarious about years ago years ago months ago whenever it was um everybody had difficulty accepting that jonathan kent would say something like that but i think that it it comes from a point of obviously fear and obviously concern for not only clark and for martha but also for the world at large and how it would be taken and what will change and you know a lot of the dialogue surrounding when he says that has to do with can can you imagine how people are are going to respond when all of their ideas of faith and what the world is are are challenged mm. yeah and i was really uh Enamored with uh, Diane Lane as, as Martha Kent, I thought she was a great balance to the Jonathan Kent that we got. Uh, you know, she was very uh, warming and and, and um, motherly, and uh, I'm I'm so glad that she's still around. Yes, I, I do. I am happy um, that uh, that uh, we got at least one parent to survive. Um, I've been saying for a long time that I much prefer the uh, Superman story where both of his parents are alive and, 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 and well into his Superman career and that he can go to. It was one of the things I loved most about Lois and Clark, that he could fly home and have discussions with them and that they could give him wisdom and that they'd all hug and then he'd fly back off to Metropolis. Um, I know that in films and sometimes on television they really like that dramatic punch that dramatic effect and they really you know nowadays heroes need to have that tragedy in their life they mm. need to have a darkness as part of them and and that's kind of the thing now and even in the 70s it seemed to be the thing because they did it with Jonathan then too and I know that uh, through the you know through the comics for 70 years there have been times when both parents have been alive there have been times when they've both been dead there have been times when dad's alive and mom's dead uh, and mom's dead and dad's alive. So there have been many various uh, ways that it has been done. So uh, this isn't out of the question, although it does seem to be the most popular uh, to kill off uh, Pa Kent. And uh, it always breaks my heart, and I think that that's part of um, people's feelings. I, I hear a lot of vehemence toward the scene, the tornado scene, when, when, uh, when uh, Jonathan loses his life. And I understand it, um, even if I don't agree with a lot of people say it's stupid, it would never happen, uh, it's, it's unexplainable. It's, you know, I, I, I think a lot of that comes from a, a place of being heartbroken that that's the way they decided to go. And, and uh, r rather than it necessarily being clearly this could never happen and, and they wouldn't do this. Mm. I think with a lot of the decisions in this movie, the, the, the writing decisions were backed up with uh, clearly showing that the character or the characters at that point had really little alternative. I mean, yeah, okay, Jonathan goes back to save their family dog and some people are that way inclined about their pets 
it's you know they're they're part of their um, family. Um, could have Clark gone instead, perhaps, but you you know he's still at this point in his life seems to be you know either a, a late teen or early twenties kind of you uh, know in, in his age. I think they they tried to put that across, even though it was Henry Cavill playing the role. He seemed to be playing a, you know a, a younger. Uh, part of Clark Kent's life. Uh, oh, they raised his uh, pitch, his yeah, voice, his exactly. vocal pitch was higher. Hey, that's right. And, uh, you know, he clearly looked back behind him, you know, realized that Jonathan doesn't want him to, to reveal his identity, doesn't want him to reveal what he does. And Jonathan stands there and shakes his head and puts his hand out and says, no, you know, this is not your time, you know, just let it be. And uh, it was very heartbreaking. Yes, the writers put them in an awkward position, but I think the characters, the way it came across was... You know, they they foreshadowed the whole thing that you know Clark can't reveal himself at this point in time, and Jonathan made the decision for him not to reveal himself at this point in time. So he can't really blame Clark. Well, one of the arguments that I keep hearing is, uh, no matter what he said there, uh, if you're Clark and you have the speed and the powers and the strength and the abilities that you've had, you've already disobeyed him countless times and you've saved children you don't even know and other people in the world, there's just no way you would stand there and watch your your, your father uh, die. And, and, you know, my explanation is much the same as yours is. I, I think that he was very influenced by Jonathan. And also, this was his father's wish. Uh, this was, you know, a man who went back to save the dog. And I think it's absurd for people to say that no one would go back and save a dog, but that's just silly. It just sounds silly to say that. I mean, it's a living uh, life that lives with you, that you have t- accepted the responsibility to take care of and to save in a situation like that. Um, so to say that they shouldn't even worry about the dog is, is silly. So yes, maybe Clark should have gone, and, and I think the whole point was Jonathan didn't want him to go for two reasons. One, he doesn't want him to accidentally use powers or if the tornado gets worse to need to use powers and then be seen by everyone. And also uh, Martha and a lot of other people were crowded underneath an overpass that could collapse or be torn away at any moment. And so Jonathan wanted him in the position to be able to protect Martha, his mother, Jonathan's wife. And it was more important to him to protect both Clark and Martha by having Clark protecting Martha and and not exposing himself to the world than to have uh, Clark go and save the dog, which Jonathan, as a man of action, a man who does things, a man who fixes things, a man who farms for however much of the country he farms for and, and finds that to be very important, I think it was very important to Jonathan. And also it was something he felt like he could do. It's not necessary. It's a little like some of the stuff in Smallville where – Jonathan would say, do you really need to go out there and use your superpowers to show everybody you're better at football than they are? I mean, is that something that's really important? Is that something that's going to change your life, our life, anyone's lives other than making you feel prideful because you can do something nobody else can do? The point is Jonathan and other human beings are perfectly capable of of helping a dog out of a car. Now, things went wrong and that's where people say, well, he should have sprung into action at that point. Uh, but there was no way for either character to know that Jonathan was definitely going to meet his demise over there. It was something that he felt he could do. He wanted to do it, and he wanted Clark protecting Martha. Then when it got bad, Clark you could see the struggle in Clark's face. You could see that he didn't want to uh, do it, but he felt like he needed to. And then his father, who he highly respects, and, and, and is he isn't going to just – he didn't feel like he could just – 
disagree with him right then and there. And and uh, it was a horrible position that, yes, the writers put them in. And these are fictional characters that can only be put into action by writers who decide to write it a certain way. So, yeah, you could say, well, I think that was just put in for dramatic effect and it was silly. And I guess if that's the way you feel about it, there's nothing that's really going to change your mind. Uh, but I feel like it played its part. I feel like it meant a lot. And I feel like it was important to both Jonathan and Clark uh, moving forward, even though Jonathan is dead. It was his wish at that last moment that um, Martha, the world, Clark, everybody weren't put in danger to, to, to for him to use his powers to go out and save him. Mm. And don't forget, at this point in his life, Clark isn't aware of the full... Uh extent of his powers you know people saying oh, he could have zoomed in and out before anybody even blinked Clark we don't necessarily know at this point in time if Clark had super speed we know he had strength we know he had you know uh, invulnerability but we don't know that he had super speed he doesn't know the extent of his powers so to try to put Superman's abilities on Clark at that point in his life I think is unfair now moving forward uh, we are introduced to Lois Lane and Amy Adams I think really did the the part justice her her uh, mannerisms her attitude in this it was she was just so much on as lois lane i loved it i love i loved her portrayal i loved her red hair i loved that she was thrust into the action right off the bat yeah she she was she just and and some of her lines the you know uh we probably can't even say them on this show, but you know the measuring of uh, manhood, um, you know the uh, the things that she says to the general, just the way she plays the the military, you know, in her uh, and and what did she say? I have writer's block if I'm not in danger, all that kind of stuff. Or you know, I think that was uh, just so so Lois Lane. It was. It was. I, I love all the dialogue. I've heard people say that some of Lois's dialogue is cheesy or corny or stupid, and they would have changed it. Uh, speaking of the measuring male members and uh, do do what if I have to tinkle? I think all of that. You know. The, you know the 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 measuring of your size was was a way of her to say, look, I'm not afraid of you guys. I'm just as good as you are, if not better. And I got here even though you didn't want me here. So if you can stop measuring yourselves for a minute and and give me what I want, that's that's what I'm here for. And I think that was perfect. And I think the writing on it was perfect. And I think it's something Lois would say. And uh, the tinkle thing, I think she was being cute, but at the same time being a little bit um, deceptive because she planned on going outside and, and doing more of her scoping around. And I think she was on a story that they don't even know about. Aside from the, the fact that she was there to cover whatever this thing was that they found, I think that she thinks it's connected to a much bigger thing. And I think that she was already on to Clark at that point. She already knew that there was this guardian angel guy going around saving people. And she was there because she knew it was it was a part of this whole thing. Mm. Now, uh, what did you make of, you know, the whole Lois? You know, I mean, this is for a long, for many years over the 75 years history of Superman, it's been the triangle, you know, Lois, Clark, Superman. But in this... Lois knows that there is no Superman really at this point in time. Lois knows that Clark can do and is is the character, and you know she knows all the whole secret. Well, you know, I kept waiting for uh, him to like kiss her and her to forget everything, but uh, <laughs> since that never came, um, actually, the the truth is, uh, and I've I've heard this from different sides as well. You know, a lot of people say this is great because she's not 
she's not portrayed as galactically stupid and and she's also not she's also not uh, now going to be the lowest that everybody wanted to see though the one who didn't see the, you know so some people don't think it's stupid that she didn't know that Clark was superman but other people think it's, it makes much more sense here and i think in this world in this situation rather than have an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes of the movie before Clark even meets uh, Lois and then have him wearing glasses and stumble in there and nobody knows who he is. This, this put Lois front and center. This made complete sense why he would, he would latch on to her, why they would have any kind of a relationship. You know, one of my, one of my biggest gripes with the earlier films was that I never felt like there was really a relationship there. I felt like, uh, Lois was into Superman because he was Superman and she wanted the story and they got together and then she was just uh, in awe of this godlike being flying around and I felt like there was no reason that Superman would be attracted to her, uh, that he had any kind of chemistry with her and that there was nothing going there. But in this, I felt like you know, a lot of people are complaining about the kiss at the end of the film. We'll get to that. I, I felt like it made complete sense that both of these characters would feel the way they did about each other by the time they reached that point because they had already had such a storied history together throughout the film. Yeah, and I thought Lois's integrity in keeping the secret and dropping the story when she realized in having spoken to Clark about you know the reasons he, he's being hidden, he's kept hidden for this amount of time, I think it really lent to making Lois... Uh, endearing the 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 movie go the watching you know people watching the movie to Lois Lane as a character because she has that integrity that strength of conviction and I thought that it added a lot to their relationship um, I think what people maybe have a problem with with that kiss as you mentioned is the fact that it comes on the back of all that destruction and all that death that was it a selfish moment of Superman or a silly moment when all these people may be trapped in these buildings for him and Lois to be sharing a kiss at that point in the movie. Well, you know, and we'll get to the destruction or maybe we'll talk about it now. I don't know that, but uh, the, I think that it is impossible just as the, the people who are really having a problem with the destruction and the quote unquote death that went on, we have the other side. And that is you're assuming that there was a ton of death and a ton of, not you, just, just yeah, in general, the assumption is that there's a ton of death and a ton of people trapped while at the same time, we didn't see that being the case. Mm. I'm assuming that there there was a ton of destruction and death earlier on before people got out. But by the time we reach this point, the city's already been leveled. People have already gotten away from the dangerous areas. And yes, there are certainly people that need help at this point. But it's not clear that you know, tons of people are in need of, of desperate need of help right now. Yes, the immediate uh, logical assumption to make is that in that kind of a destructive scene, there's got to be people who are in need of your help. Although the kiss happens and then the battle with Zod happens, and until they get to the train station, well, I don't see another person. So my assumption based on what I was shown in a movie which is a visual medium and has to show me what I need to see is that there aren't any people. I don't hear cries for help. I don't hear people needing assistance. I don't see people needing help or assistance. So my mind never went there. 
I'm not saying things don't need to be picked up. I'm not saying that people who have been displaced from their homes don't need help. I'm not saying people didn't die. I'm saying that I don't see or hear people in desperate need right at that moment. So I don't believe that there were people in desperate need right at that moment. Yeah, no, I understand. And let's don't not forget that this is not a movie about Metropolis. This is a movie about Superman. This is a movie about Lois Lane. So, of course, we're going to be focusing on the relationships between these characters. You can start speculating about what's happening here and there and everywhere else. But this is the movie about these characters. So we're going to be concentrating on the relationships between these characters. Um, in, in the same way that, you know, they're saying it's selfish with Superman. Well, it's, it happened in Superman Returns. He left the, the world for five years to go see, seeking information about what he thought Krypton might be existing. It happened in Superman 2 when he decided to give up his powers for Lois and leave the world, uh, you know, to its own resources. Uh, it's not like this is not something that the character hasn't done before in, it, in his past, where he's, you know, he's still early in this, in this movie, in his... In his role as Superman. He's only just been named Superman. He doesn't know what his role is or what his task is as a, you know, as a superhero, so to speak. So stop projecting what you know as Superman from 75 years of comic book stories onto a Superman who's existed for like five minutes in this movie. <laughs> well, I also, I totally agree with you. And I also feel like those things that you mention are, are so much more extreme. That's a Superman who's already been here, who knows people rely on him, who goes away for five years and says, well, I'm just gone. He didn't expect to be gone for five years, and I totally defended that when that happened too. But this is much smaller. This is a, this is a tiny kiss at a moment of high stress where both characters just had their lives uh, you know, pretty much right on the edge. It could have gone either way. Uh, and they were both in danger of death, and the whole world was in danger of dying, and he just saved her. And, uh, you know, they've grown closer and closer throughout the movie, and I think that it 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 made sense for that to happen there. And I don't think that they necessarily uh, held it for a particularly long period of time. I think it was it was done in the moment and that it, it it felt it was the chemistry was there and it was the right moment for it to happen. And then he went and fought Zod right after that. Um and at that moment, he didn't know Zod was still around. So uh, I don't think there was anything urgent to be done right that moment. Uh, and I also think it was a – even though he's not human, it was a human moment of coming down from a highly stressful, intense situation where uh, both characters felt the need for some sort of release. Yeah. Now, as far as uh, the, the, the whole getting the suit – the, you know, there's the Fortress of Solitude was really the scout ship in the Arctic. Uh, it's been there for thousands of years. Uh, and my feelings on this was the little key that he gets, the Kryptonian key, um, is almost like, actually, it's almost like a USB key. Actually, Warner Brothers sent me uh, a lot of material on this USB key that's shaped like the, uh, the little um, key that uh, Kal-El gets that uh, Jor-El sends with him, um, that he hangs around his neck as, a, you know, as he's growing up, uh, very similar in shape uh, to that, this USB key that I've got. Uh, it's, um, you know, the Jor-El artificial intelligence is what he inserts into that, you know, a console on the scout ship that's buried there under the ice, and that allows Jor-El then to uh, overtake the, the ship, uh, be a part of the ship, and in my opinion, create the, the costume for uh, Kal-El on, on the spot. 
And this has been a question that people have been asking, and, 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 and it is, why don't I have one of these keys, and why, haven't, why hasn't the WB sent me one of these USB <laughs> keys? Um, uh, but the question has been, where did the suit come from? If, 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 if the machine is uh, hundreds of thousands of years old, how could there be a suit that was tailored just for, uh, just for Clark right when he happened to need it? And I think, as you say, the, the most reasonable explanation is that um, a ship that can create babies in a special chamber probably has the ability to create a suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's as simple as that. I mean, I don't, well, I don't, I don't even myself. I don't even need to analyze it much more than that. It just seems to be um, that simple. Yeah. Well, we didn't get the same. I mean, the same question could be asked of Superman the movie. Uh, in 78, uh, one minute he's in there, he's got the blankets in his bag or something, and the next minute, he's, well, not next minute, years later, as, he, as it happens to be in, in movie time, uh, he flies out with a the, with the fully stitched-together suit. Right. I mean, yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and it, it you know, a lot of podcasts I've heard, uh, a lot of discussions I've heard. I've even been um, uh, reprimanded for, for defending my position too much or for being apologetic towards something that was terrible or, or for not having to defend myself towards something that's good or toward what I like or uh, for making a review that's too long or whatever. Uh, we keep We keep going back to... The original films, and and mm. I think a lot of reviewers are doing that, a lot mm-hmm. of critics are doing that, and a lot of fans are doing that. I think it's almost, it seems almost impossible for anyone to get away from doing that sort of thing. I've tried myself not to do that because I knew going in that this was a completely fresh take and it wasn't going to be connected. But it seems like a lot of people, either emotionally or 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 you know, uh, intellect wise, cannot seem to break away from their belief of who and what Superman is based on some movies that were made 30 years ago uh, toward either the new 52 comics or toward this new movie. Um, and, and the truth is, it's been 75 years of changes and different things that have gone on. So we could bring out almost any one of these representations and say they're all different. You yeah, know, um, you're right. and, and you're right, you know, uh, after 12 years of learning about the cosmos from holographic Marlon Brando in the old film, um, Superman emerges with his super suit on. And, uh, you know, I don't think this is a point of contention for people. I don't think anybody's saying this was when the movie broke for me. Uh, but I think it's people are questioning where it came from or how it might have happened. Yeah. And I think both of our uh, theory seems to be that um, it was created on the spot. Now, another point of contention is uh, we see uh, in the scout ship there's one of those sleep pods or whatever they might be where there's a skeleton in one and the other one opened is empty. That's true. Um, See, my thing is when I was watching the movie, I saw it and I thought it and I also had read the prequel. So I I had the idea of what it might have been and what it might have been showing. A lot of people who didn't read the comic – or who are trying to speculate about what it might mean, said, well, how come one of them had a dead person in it and the other one was open? And I think, for me, just upon viewing the movie, and and, and as I said, movies are a visual medium, looking upon what they are showing me, I'm seeing a pod that got opened some time ago, 100,000 years ago, and and it doesn't, it, it makes no difference whether that was open or not open, whether we were shown a dead body inside or not. Uh, all we saw was that one was open and one wasn't, and the one that wasn't open had someone dead in it, and the other one was empty. Uh, but the ship's hundreds of thousands of years old, so my 
logical mind goes to, well, it doesn't even matter that that's open because the ship's 100,000 years old, so whoever was in there is dead anyway. Um, but if you've read the prequel, you have you have a little more idea of what might have happened there or who that was. And we saw some footprints in the snow. And clearly when the ship crashed hundreds of thousands of years ago, someone walked out, which seems to me to be even more uh, a proof that whoever that someone was is long gone by this point. Hmm. Unless Kryptonians don't age or don't uh, die. But... Um... Yeah, look, it's up for speculation. We don't know at this point in time. Uh, people are saying it could be Supergirl, Kara. What? Look, we don't know. Um, it logically doesn't seem that you know Kara being thousands of years old would be, make sense, but uh, you know that's that's uh, speculation for another day. Now, moving on to when uh, he's got the suit now and he's opened the doors and he's walked out and you know he you know we hear the monologue of Jor-El saying. Um, you know, you ha- you need to. You, you know, who knows how strong you will be? You need to, you know, push your limits. And Superman, you know, launches himself up into uh, the air from the Arctic uh, tundra, and uh, isn't exactly successful at first. <laughs> well, it's it's very interesting because the. Uh... The, the shot that we've all been shown for months and months is the one where he's kneeling down and the ground kind of starts to shake and, and the gravity moves around him and then he launches up into the sky. And that, of course, is the most dramatic bit. But uh, what you expect, or at least what I expected, was that to be the first flight, the first mm. takeoff. But instead, we're treated to a... Uh, I, I, I can't help it, and as much as I love the movie, I am three times reminded of the greatest American hero. Um, <laughs> if, yeah, I don't know if you're aware of that show. I love that it. series. Um, but uh, he is flying, and he starts to wave his arms about, and he <laughs> says, whoa, whoa, you know, and he crashes, and which, of course, is what happened on Greatest American Hero, which <clears throat> is not a negative thing to say, because Basically, any series where a man with an emblem on his chest and a super suit flies around saving people has been inspired by Superman in one way or another. Mm. So uh, for that type of thing to, you know, kind of fold back on itself and end up in a Superman movie doesn't doesn't bother me. I no. just thought it was kind of cute. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just I loved the joy on his face at being able to fly and, you know, you know, figuring out that he could fly. And uh, then he got, you know, uh, a bit too... Um, uh, confident, I think, and went a little bit too high, and obviously, you know, the air was a bit thinner up there, and then he loses his, you know, concentration and, and falls back to earth and takes out half a mountain, and, and but then <laughs> then figures it out and you know gets more confident and more uh, you know adapt at it, uh, adept at it, and uh, you know I love that scene of him flying through, I think it's like Africa through the zebras and um, you know just just having so much fun with the ability of flight. It is a very exciting scene, and and it's nice to see, um, you know, something a lot of people waited for with Smallville, and it kind of came at the end, and it was a little anticlimactic, and you know, we I don't really feel like we ever got to enjoy that on Smallville, and of course, the credo was no flights, no tights, so I guess no one really expected it to happen, but uh, here we get, even though it's short. Uh, shrift in terms of um, how we see him learn or, or anything, but we at least get to see the real enjoyment that I think somebody would get living a life on the ground as a normal kind of regular person and then being able to fly like that. Mm. Yeah, and I think it was really well handled, and uh, I, I really enjoyed that part of the movie. And it's you know it's 
uh, you know, people were saying that the movie's dark and gritty or whatever. You know, there, here's one scene in particular that shows you how much fun it is to be Superman and how much fun uh, Henry, you know, has with the the, the whole flight scene. And uh, I think that was a, a welcome part of the film. Uh, and then on the flip side of things, we've got Zod and Feora as the villains of the movie, who were both, uh, well, just crazy almost in their uh, fanaticism, uh, but still an enjoyable part of the movie. Like, I just loved watching Feora especially in uh, in her love of being the, a villain. Well, the, you know, Feora was a, was just a blast to uh, watch. And uh, uh, she played her just so kind of... Um, you know, awe-inspiring, but not in a good way. I mean, but but as far as an actress, you know, you I was just every time she was on screen, I was just awed by her. I loved I loved her dialogue. I loved the way she acted. I loved watching her move around. You know, in that that one spot where she uh, quickly zips through all the soldiers on the ground mm-hmm. and takes them all out. I just thought that was one of the coolest things. And I love her little battle. Uh, it doesn't last very long with the colonel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where she kind of smirks at him because she thinks it's uh it's cute that he's still gonna try even though it's clear that there's no way he can win and then superman swoops in and saves the day but uh i thought all of that <clears throat> character wise was so great for her and um and and the effects there you know i say this to many people i i i really found very few places where i was taken out of the movie by cgi and mm. that's new for me yeah uh a lot of people say well it's because you love superman and you're not going to see faults or whatever but on the on the other side of that i think you know it's seven years since uh superman returns and much time has gone by and and things have improved and there are a few spots in the movie where i kind of noticed it but otherwise i i just think that the 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 powers are done so well and the battling and the movement and the way they get into things is just so much improved over any CGI that I've seen to where uh, it really doesn't look to me like years from now I'm going to I'm going to say that it's lost its its luster in terms of being really ahead for for effects. Mm. And then uh the 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 line that you're talking about some of the dialogue that uh Anche Trower had as Feora uh the what was it saying uh, a good death is its own reward or something along yes, those lines exactly. and then Christopher Maloney's character gets to uh repeat that to her in a uh, a nice sequence at the end of the film. Uh, But uh, Michael Shannon almost stole the show as General Zod. He he wasn't crazy. He wasn't fanatic. I mean, he was fanatical, but, you know, he's been genetically bred to be the type of, you know, to have the role that he does within his society. And I think they did a great job of uh, delivering the lines to make us understand where they had to go with this film because... Uh, General Zod mentioned a number of times that he would never stop, that you know the only way this was going to end was a certain way. And uh, I think Michael Shannon delivered all those lines in a, such a great way that you didn't feel empathy for him, but you understood him. Yeah, I, 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 one thing that I really like about it too is, you know, as as dangerous as um, Feora was, and as intimidating as Zod could be, he they didn't just show up and start saying we're going to rule the planet Houston mm, and start mm. killing people and destroying things. And I mean, they could have just come in and done what they wanted to do without. Uh, kind of, they almost asked Superman's permission. I mean, they decided in the end that they were going to do it anyway, and that was probably their plan to begin with. But they gave it time, and they waited, 
and the battle didn't even begin until until Superman laid the first smackdown. So actually they were so much more uh, understandable in their purpose and of course as you say they were bred to protect Krypton. They weren't bred to be people who would be excited about having powers. They weren't bred to be people who wanted to walk around and flaunt how much better than everybody they were. They were people that were bred and and him specifically as the leader of Krypton's military to protect Krypton at all costs. So in this situation that they're in, this extreme situation where the Krypton has been destroyed and they have no other choice but to terraform a new planet, it wasn't it did not behoove them to try and think about whether it might be better to remain super and not make Krypton into Earth into Krypton. Uh, I've heard people say, you know, who would do that? Nobody would give away the ability to have all these powers. That's just silly. Once they realize they have these powers, they would just rule and be powerful and better than everybody else. But I don't even believe that was in the forefront or in their mind at all. It just so happens that it was a tool that they could use at this time because they had it. But I don't think that personal satisfaction was ever a point of what Zod or Feyor or any of the Kryptonians were really doing. Yeah, exactly. I didn't get that sense either. And even the whole terraforming thing didn't come until they worked out that Kal-El had the um, the DNA of the you know what the, what's what's the word they use for it? Um, the codex. The codex within his cells, and so you know that was the point that they were they'd come to find. The Codex, and uh, thinking that he had it with him, that they looked for his ship in Smallville, that he came and landed in, and we found that it wasn't in there, and and Zod, you know, uh, demands of of Martha, where did he hide it? Where has he put it? And she's, I don't know what you're talking about. And then uh, uh, I think it's um, Jack Sir uh, discovers that uh, it's the Codex is actually within the cells of Kal El himself. And, uh, and Zod says, "Do we need? Does he need to be alive for us to extract that?" And and Jaxo says, "No." And so he says, "All right, release the the uh, the world engine, and uh, let's uh, let's go about creating a new Krypton so that we can get the Codex and start populating this planet." I found it so cool, uh, where you know I've spent a lifetime watching movies and uh, love superhero movies specifically, and I knew exactly what was going to happen in that scene when he started talking about, hmm, do we need to have Kal alive for this? You know, I knew that Jaxer, if that's who that was, was going to say no. But I heard someone kind of go, oh, hmm, you know, near me in the theater, like, <laughs> oh, so that's what, you know, <laughs> you know, I just thought it was kind of cute because uh, apparently they thought that that was a, a, a reveal that they weren't <laughs> expecting, which I thought was kind of cool. And, and, and of course, uh, one big scene that a lot of people are talking about is the scene where he does attack Zod because Zod was threatening his mother. And for me, this was one of the most inspiring, Mm. awesome, emotional, cool scenes in the film. You know, this is the first time we see him really laying the smack down on somebody and it's Zod. And he really, you know, for lack of a better term, kicked the crap out of him. And, and one thing that I keep hearing is, yeah, but what about the father who's the clerk at 7-Eleven who clearly must have died in the explosion that he, when he went through the petrol and everything exploded? And um, that's possible. And it's also possible that he scanned ahead and knew the gas station was closed or knew no one was in the way or was just so blind with rage um, that he didn't think about that, which is 
admittedly not something Superman would normally not do, but in that situation where someone strangling his mother that had raised him and taken care of him and loved him since he was an, an orphan on another planet, um, I, I think that there's a lot that we're not giving him credit for and 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 just saying that Superman would never do that and, and everyone's going to die there and he clearly caused more damage than the Avengers in that entire movie and this is a lot of what I'm hearing and where there is a lot of damage caused, on the other hand, we're seeing a multiple-led Kryptonian army of 10 to 20 people coming to planet Earth with superpowers and one Superman that has to try and stand between them. So I don't even know that it's – this particular scene might have been in his power to control how he took Zod to task there. But the rest of the film, I don't know that it's really within his power to limit all of the destruction. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's still just having learnt how to fly and all that stuff when he does attack Zod. So it's not like it's, you know, long into his uh, discovering the extent of his abilities. Maybe he didn't know the damage that he could cause um, at that point in in time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I love that, you know, how he's bashing on Zod, saying something like, don't threaten or never touch my mother or, or something you along those lines. You think you can threaten my mother? <laughs> and he hits him several times and, of course, smashes through the big water tanks and, and, and things. And, and destroys Zod's uh, mask, which uh, leads him to, you know, experience all the powers at once and, um, you know, doesn't have the focus that Superman has. Uh, learnt over so many years, but it doesn't take Zod long, as we see later on in the film, that he just, you know, he's able to uh, master all those abilities um, because of his training and his and his skill level uh, that has been bred into him um, from, you know, from his birth. So um, the fighting, uh, a lot of people, just, you know, saying the destruction levels of this movie were uh, out of this world. Um, that you know, so many people, millions and Billions of dollars worth of money would have been, you know, uh, um, destroyed, and so many people would have died. And I think some websites done this calculation of some way of how much, how many millions of people, how many billions of dollars would have been uh, destroyed in this uh, in this fight scene between uh, the Kryptonians and Superman, and then Zod and Superman at the end. Uh, Look, for all that, you know, this shows you just what destruction. Superpowered beings would would have on a city like that. Uh, we are still trying to, you know, people who are complaining that Superman should have taken it elsewhere, out of a less populated area, and all that. This is where the world machine was. This is where the destruction was happening. This is where the fight needed to go. Um, and you know, we are still talking about a Superman who has not been around, who's only just been called Superman, and hasn't doesn't have the experience or the know-how of the Superman that we all are thinking about. Yeah, I think that um, it's it's clear. Like a lot of times, it's clear to me that much of the city's already been destroyed by by the uh, by the gravity beam on on Zod's ship, mm-hmm. and 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 many of the you see when they crash through the buildings, no one's in them; mm. they're empty. It's and and you know even the uh, even the train station where the final battle takes place, there's no one there except for the couple of people who are then immediately threatened. But it's you know a train station in a big busy city like Metropolis or Chicago or New York City would be bustling with tons of people if the city hadn't already escaped. You know, most of the people who live there had already moved to as safe an area as you can get. And that being said, 
uh, when a, when a massive powerful force comes in that has the power that each person has the power of Superman. I don't even know that there is a safe place to go. So while I see that, sure, they could have stopped the action to have Superman save a kitten from a tree or, or save someone from being under rubble, I don't know that that would have served the overall purpose, and that is to end the threat and limit any further destruction mm-hmm. that that will most certainly kill many more people and destroy many more cities because that's the whole plan. That's, that's Zod's entire plan. If Superman does not fight Zod now and finish it. And I actually think the scene where they fly into space could be construed as Superman's attempt, um, attempt to get him out of uh, the Earth, and, and but Zod fights back. It's not going to be that easy. Zod's the same, um, essentially, even though he's not as trained with the powers. You know, he's militarily trained, and he has all of the... Um, just the, the things that are bred in him to make him someone that is going to be a formidable foe and probably in the end would be able to overtake Superman, which is another reason why when we get to the, the big controversial thing, uh, I, I think was necessary. Yeah, well, let's get to that big controversial thing. And I think, as I said earlier, that uh, the writers and through the character of Zod um, Preempted, you know, or 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 foreshadowed the necessity of the ending. You know, Zod says clearly, uh, Kal-el, the only way this is going to end is if I die or you die. Um, and when he says to him, you know, you've taken away my purpose. Now my only purpose left is to destroy, you know, those who have destroyed my people. You, you know, you've taken away my my soul. Um, and you know, he says, "Stop this!" And he says, "Never." It's like, what can he do? What, what is left for Superman to do? Uh, but and, and I don't even think he could say Superman ended it. I think, in some way, and people are saying this was suicide by Superman. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that, which which makes it even more tragic and more emotional and more sad. And I think all of those emotions were meant to be felt by both us and by Superman. You know, he's he's ending a member of his own race. He's already destroyed the uh, creation chamber that the Codex implanted within him would be able to restart up again and, and, and rebirth new members of Krypton. Mm-hmm. But and he sorry, also let's knows just, that... Let's just break in there and tell people that there were no uh, babies or, or, you know, that, that, cha- that f- uh, chamber was empty. Like, there were no... Um, children or babies in that uh, in that chamber when it was destroyed that was my impression i have heard many people say why is everybody jumping up and down that that superman um took zod's life when moments before he destroyed an entire chamber filled with fetuses uh i didn't see any i saw them earlier in the codec in the room where zod went where uh, jor-el went at the mm. beginning of the movie and i know that the scout ships that krypton sent out were meant to have these creation chambers but my belief is and my understanding throughout watching the movie was that that whatever codex was on board all those ships was going to institute the entire process starting from scratch and create life and babies mm. so he it wasn't like the they all from left superman himself to be able to start that process that's what i you know that's the only thing that makes sense yeah. and also when they showed the room several times i never once saw uh, a baby and no, they hadn't they instituted the process yet and i don't believe that the ships um I don't know. In the prequel comic, 
they do say at one point and show there's a picture and there are babies in all of the tubes. Now, that could mean that they started the process before they left Krypton. Mm. Uh, or that they had started it right at that point so that they would be ready when they got because it was a 10-year travel and that they said in the story it would take them 10 years to get to the places that they were going to hmm. so you wouldn't want to wait till you got there and then start from the beginning because it would take you 20 years or whatever to have a viable person that could help you rebuild a colony but in this case i think they were going to start from scratch or or it's possible that that ship did once have clones in it or babies in it and they – I mean tw- what is it, 20,000 years old? Mm. Uh, I don't think they would last that long. Anyway, the visible evidence that is there – and I mentioned this earlier and it actually came from, an, uh, from, a, from another uh, review type thing that I read that someone else posited and that was that movies – show you what you need to see and from what i could see there were no babies there were no you know and and based on what the movie told us up to that point i don't believe that not harvesting the codex from superman i don't think that you could have babies or start growing krypton so uh that's not an issue yeah i interrupted you but uh, back to the the zod the 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 death of zod at the end right yeah um Here's what I've kind of said, and I, I did a write-up, and Steve did a write-up, and there's some other write-ups, and, and most people that are mostly upset about the movie, and I have talked to uh, huge Superman fans that are finished with this franchise based on this one act, and I'm very I'm very saddened and I'm hurt by that because it 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 bothers me to the core that people are turned off to Superman in this way because. I believe that Superman should be the inspiration for everyone, should be the hope for everyone, and should be someone that people look up to and model their own ideas after, whether it's in the fictional universe or, you know, and if you're talking about taking kids to see the movie, you know, I'm at a point where I don't believe that that kids should be seeing this movie. It's very deep. It's very... Um, you know, adult, it's very mature, which is something I've been clamoring for all my life. So I also can't complain. Um, but it, but it definitely, it hurts. And I think it, and I think it's, you know, I think we're seeing that in the box office and we're hearing that from critics and we're hearing that from fans, not all fans, not all critics and the, and the film's doing very well. But I think had you not purposely gone in and written him into a situation that he was unable to get out of and made him do something that he couldn't help character wise, I think that you would see many more box office returns and many less fans and creators turning away and being really uh, distraught over what was brought up. And, and uh, you know, I totally am okay with it. I feel that Superman and Zod were soldiers in a battle to the death to destroy or save the world and therefore everybody else after that. So not taking the option when it was there what does that mean? What does that, what does that then lead to? That leads to, first of all, that family being killed. From what I saw, there was no way Superman could get him away. There was no way he could let go of him. There was no way he could fly out of there. They're both evenly matched, and I thought they were frozen in that spot, and Superman had him tied up but couldn't take one arm off of him without him getting away and killing that family. Couldn't let go of his head without him turning his head quickly and killing the family and really couldn't fly him out of there and continue the battle. Otherwise, we'd have the same complaints that he just kept letting the destruction go on. So there's nowhere to take Zod. There's nowhere to put Zod. There's no way to get rid of his powers. The Phantom Zone is closed. So what? What? So what's the answer? If he doesn't... Exactly. 
you make a good point. You raise all the same points that I was just about to to to, to list, and you know there was no alternative. And people were saying, well, that's bad writing to put Superman, paint him in that corner. But you know, even looking at past movies, there was you know no alternative in in this version because you know past versions we've seen though they were depowered and they were still if you've seen the theatrical version of Superman 2, still thrown into an abyss. Um, so in, in, there is real, there was real no answer to, to other than what happened. And we, it wasn't like he rejoiced in his decision and then he was happy about doing it. They showed that it had massive ramifications, massive impact on Superman having to do what he did. And that, you know, it, it, it nearly destroyed him. It, it was... It was it tore him apart to have to do that. He didn't want to do it. He begged him. He he, he pleaded with him. Yep. He asked him, "Please, don't make this happen." You know, uh, but you know the, the yeah right. And 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 clearly to me, um, people have said, "Well, he could have flown him out of there to save that family." To me, that wasn't an option. I don't know that, you know, it wasn't clear that they were holding each other in that spot, but they can both fly now. They're both just as strong as the other. And and, and it seemed to me there was a big struggle going on there and Superman was out of options. Now, as you said, it's bad writing to paint him into that corner. That could be a, a reasonable complaint. You could say, well, they didn't have to write it that way. And that's true. And that's what that's what bothers me. Uh, because I think they wanted to do something different. They wanted to show an extreme situation, and this was a life-or-death, end-of-the-world scenario. So it doesn't really get much bleaker than that. And 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 to, to I don't know, write yourself... They already wrote a MacGuffin in by having them able to create a singularity that would reopen the Phantom Zone to begin with. Mm. So how would they do that again? Where would they, mm. you know, unless Zod was going to go right at that time and that would be the end of them all and there would be no climactic final battle, I don't know what else they could do, even in terms of writing, unless they created a special chamber where uh, Zod was going to follow him out to the Arctic and go in there under his own accord and take his powers away. It doesn't, I don't think that there was any room for there to be any other solution, even through writing, yep. unless there wasn't going to be that final altercation to begin with. But I'm with I, you. I'm with you. Now, looking at the end, the final scene, uh, we don't know how much time has elapsed uh, between Clark deciding to go to the Daily Planet and the destruction of, you know, and the death of Zod. We don't know how much time has elapsed. We don't know if the Daily Planet was destroyed. You know, it seems bizarre in the space of a few minutes or you know seconds for everybody to be back at work at the daily planet and everything seems to be hunky-dory but we don't know how much time has elapsed so it's it's hard to judge that and, and judge that scene uh on on you know what people are complaining about well i would i mean i would say that it it seems clear that a decent amount of time must have gone by mm -hmm. because even though the daily planet was still standing there was a ton of destruction in the city, as we've already covered. So I don't know that everybody would be able to return to work, yeah, or that and there wouldn't be, wouldn't be uh, games on. What's his name? Uh, Steve Lombard has got two tickets, for, you know, for the for the ball game or whatever it is. And you know, it doesn't seem like things would be that back in order so quickly. So I'm, we'd have to assume that some time has elapsed. I will say that in terms of filmmaking, people usually, and, and even when you read about it, you expect. Uh, a fade to black, 
um, uh, three to five second uh, black screen to give you the indication that time has passed, and none of that happened. It, it did go right into the crashing of the satellite that that, that Superman found, mm-hmm. which seemed to be indicative of, of it happening right after the previous scene. But I don't. Well, they I wouldn't have think... had that satellite up and ready to spy on Superman to find out where he hangs his cape, as he said, uh, immediately after the Zod fight. So obviously, some time has elapsed for them to be putting up these types of satellites to spy on him. You're right, sir. So uh, it makes sense to me that some time has elapsed. But I loved, my favourite line of the whole movie was Lois saying to Clark, welcome to the planet. Uh, the double yeah. meaning there, I thought that was just phenomenal. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was great. It does beg the question, um, you know, some people have said, you know, Perry and Jenny and Ron all also saw Superman kissing Lois and saw Clark in his Superman outfit before he put the glasses on at the end of the movie. So even though they took steps to purposely put Lois ahead of the whole thing and put Lois into the story right from the beginning, and she knows the secret clearly by her little banter with Clark at the end there, it's not like she's fooled, which would be silly. But that begs the question as to how much does Perry know? What did they really see? And are they going to continue with the whole Clark Kent facade where nobody else knows, even though uh, many people did see Superman. What I thought was they were quite a distance away, and there's this ultimate godlike figure flying around with superpowers. I I never have thought people would immediately jump to the conclusion that just because Clark Kent kind of looks like Superman that, that he, oh, he must immediately be this godlike being. Because no one's going to expect that he's going to be dressed as a normal guy and, and taking a job at the Daily Planet. Mm. But, uh, it, uh, yeah, we don't know. Um, Perry saw them kissing. Does he recognize Clark? Does he not? Does he know? Um, we don't know. Uh, we may see something in the sequel, if there is a sequel. It looks like there might likely be one. Um, seems that uh, Warner Brothers has already pretty much uh, said that there will be. Uh, we will wait and see what, where they go. And there are a lot of options. Um, for a sequel, we there are options for Lex Luthor to be the saviour of Metropolis, to rebuild Metropolis and then have control of the majority of the city. There's options for Zod's armour, which was discarded to be found, and the technology to be used to build a Metallo or you know, something along those lines. We don't know if the blood that was taken, the sample that uh, Jack Sir took from Superman when he was uh, in the, you know, on the ship, whether that went into the Phantom Zone with them or not, whether that could be used for a cloning, for a bizarro. Uh, there are lots of different uh, options that they could go with. Um, what do you think? Well, I think it's clear that many of the ships, uh, the scout ship in particular that Zod was in at the end, survived through the through the fight. There was a lot of uh, broken pieces of technology around, and I think it's it seems like the obvious way to go uh, with all of the hints toward Luther Corp and, and, or LexCorp and, and, and all of the buildings that had LexCorp on it and all of the, the trucks and the damage that's been done. And I think it's almost, it's almost an ingenious way to bring Lex Luthor and his power into the scene because, mm-hmm. as you say, even if it was only a quarter of the city that was destroyed or an eighth of the city that was destroyed. If that's the main financial district of Metropolis and all of it was torn down and then Luthor comes in and rebuilds it, every employee in all those buildings would technically be owned by Luthor and he would be able to staff them with the way he wanted, set them up the way he wanted um, and, and, and have a lot of extra leeway 
from all the politicians and everybody else involved because of his extreme donation to the city and the rebuilding of everything and mm. and you know in the end he gets he, he as a businessman he could even say straight out this is going to be a boon to luther corp as well because you know all the jobs it creates all the buildings it, you know everything that happens here is going to be profit down the line for luther corp or lex corp but at the same time it's going to save the city that i love that i have lived in that i who knows if he was born here or whatever but uh, that whole attitude that we've off, we often get from lex as the businessman that uh, this is my city i own this city mm. I, you know you know i'm the man so you got to go through me and then then the whole contentious relationship and of course we have some of the arguments that fans have been making that luther himself could bring up and could be a part of the next thing you know look at do we really want this guy in our city look at the damage that was caused by him mm. being here yeah, yeah, you know exactly. and then there'll be the other side saying yeah but look at the damage that would have been caused eventually if he wasn't here to stop them in the first place. And then, you know, the argument is, well, they wouldn't have been here if he wasn't here. And then, oh, but they would have been here anyway because, you know, whatever it is. But you're going to have two sides of that. And I think that that's interesting. A lot of people want Christopher Reeve, happy-go-lucky, everybody loves him. The president's got him in his corner and he does specific things for the government and he's, uh, you know, he's always there and and he, he, everybody loves him and accepts him right off the bat. But I just don't think that that would be exactly how it would be if an alien with these kind of powers showed up. There would always be sides that don't trust him and there would be sides that love him. And, you know, so I think it's very, you know, I had an argument with someone that said, you know, it's not real. It's a fantasy. So them trying to say we're going to take this as if it were real is just silly. And I think it was, um, who was it, Morrison, you know, came out. I don't know if it was recently or if it was long ago when someone was talking about the realism of Batman or Superman. Um, he said, you know, if, if you're looking for realism in a Batman or a Superman story, you're an idiot um, because it's about a guy that, that wears a cape and flies around. And, and uh, first of all, that's insulting. And second, um for me, I always look for realism in stories, even if they're fictitious. I know that there, there's no man flying around with a cape, but that doesn't mean that I don't want the rest of the world around him to seem like it could be my world just infused with this fantasy character. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, there was one, before we finish off and go into the big question segment of the show, there was one rumor about, uh, well, first... There is a cameo appearance by a Superman actor in the movie, and it's Aaron Smolinski who played Baby Kal-El that lands in Smallville in Superman the movie. He's one of the soldiers in the desert scene uh, when Feora comes to collect Superman and then also takes Lois with her. So if you missed that, that's that cameo. There's also this rumour about a scene when Superman's under the gravity beam and he's trying to force his way up and destroy the ship that they do a CGI effect and put Christopher Reeve's face on... Henry Cavill's face uh, for a you know split second. Did you see that at all? I watched it uh, again for the third time and was looking at it. And I can see what people are, are thinking about that, but I don't think it was intentional. I just think he looks like Superman and so does Christopher Reeve. I saw it the very first time. I saw it June 10th when we were sitting in the Lincoln Center in, in uh, Alice Tully Hall, and, uh, and, and that scene came up. My very first thought was... 
they purposely made him look like Christopher Reeve in this okay. shot. Okay. And I've watched it two other times, and I still believe that to be the case. Now, okay. I've been proven wrong before, um, <laughs> but uh, it is my impression that that was that that was purposely put there, and that and it was a fitting tribute. And I loved it, and I felt it each time. So uh, yeah, I mean, it could be. Uh, but I didn't go in looking for it, so no, it, I mean, no. it could be that it's something I want to see. But on the other hand, uh, I didn't expect it, and it wasn't like I was going, "Hmm, I wonder where they're going to put this Christopher Reeve tribute." I saw it when the scene came up, and it struck me that way immediately. And and uh, you know, because I think yes, they are both cast because they have that look, and Superman does have a certain look. But his face really changes in that beam, and it stretches out a little bit, and it gets thinner, and the nose gets pointier and longer, and it, it just really starts to to emulate Christopher Reeve's features much more so than just saying, well, both these guys kind of look like Superman. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, I'm with the people who who uh, think that uh, it could be very well be intentional. And I would think that we'll find that out um, sooner yeah. rather than later. Well, let's see if we can get an interview with somebody who would know and find out. But um, I was looking for it uh, in my third viewing, and uh, I saw it, but... I wasn't sure if it was intentional or if it was just, uh, you know, a trick of the eye. But uh, it will be definitely interesting to find out if that, you know, and, and see once we do get that scene, um, you know, on either the computer or on the internet or on the DVD or Blu-ray where we can freeze frame it or go frame by frame to actually uh, see that, uh, you know, if it is indeed the case and, if, and ask somebody if it was intentional. But uh, we'll well wait and see. But, Let uh, me pause it. Yeah. posit this to you right now uh both of us have been asked many occasions why we haven't done commentary on the superman films and and when we when can we expect that and i think that would be great if you guys would do it and uh what if what if we what if we uh make a pledge right now that uh you and i and and, and maybe another one or two people uh do that with uh, man of steel when, definitely. It, when it comes comes out we uh we will do that know, Sounds great. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in doing that. We can set it up and and uh, have a running commentary on uh, the Man of Steel movie uh, as it plays, so that you can uh, play that at the same time as rewatching it for yourself uh, when the DVD Blu-ray uh, is released. Uh, we did that with the finale of Smallville, so uh, I think we can definitely do it with Man of Steel. Uh, okay, a final word uh, rating out of ten for you for Man of Steel. Well, you know, I hate to give a number rating and I hate to see I like one thing more I hate to say I like one thing more than another um, I would say based on some of the issues that I myself has ha have had that that I would for me this is the best Superman movie I have seen uh, the best superhero movie I have seen and one of the most enjoyable movie experiences I have ever been a part of that of course is lends is lent to the fact that I love Superman and wanted to see a great Superman movie uh, I would say nine of ten yeah I would be up of that way to eight to, to uh, eight out of ten nine out of ten I said in my review on the website it just gets better with every viewing I've seen it three times now. Uh, we are recording this in two segments. I re we recorded part before I went to the Australian premiere and part after I went to the Australian premiere here in Sydney. And this part is obviously is after the, the Australian premiere. And uh, was thoroughly in, uh, enjoyed the experience. I uh, got to see it for the first time with my wife, who hadn't oh, seen it yet. Didn't come with me to America, obviously, for the uh, world premiere. And then the subsequent viewing I saw with my sister Carol there in New York, but um, she saw it, she loved it, she thought it was fantastic, she would have given it an 8 out of 10 herself, she said, which was uh, pleasing for me, 
But the, the whole Australian premiere was a great experience. Uh, they had the black carpet, they had fans lined up on each side, and the celebrities got to go through. We actually got to go through on the black carpet ourselves. We were there pretty early, so nobody else was was uh, none of the celebrities were there at that stage. But I hung around, took some photos. They're up on the website if you haven't seen them already. Uh, and uh, as we were waiting for the film to start, uh, Henry Cavill, Russell Crowe, and Zack Snyder came down to the front of the cinema on a microphone, uh, thanking everybody for turning up. Uh, you know, saying that they hope they enjoyed the movie as much as they enjoyed making it and then left us to watch the film. I thought that was a, a very a nice touch. My wife was pleasantly surprised that they uh, took the time to do that. Yeah, I would have been surprised too since I was in New York for the world premiere and that didn't happen. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> What kind nice. of an audience? Was it around the same size theater? Was the screen better? Was the sound better? I felt like our theater wasn't made to be a movie theater. No. It was a little too large for the screen that was in there yeah. and that the speakers were very outdated and probably weren't even surround sound. Well, this was in the Event Cinema, which is a chain of cinemas here in Sydney, and they actually had the movie screening in about four different cinemas. So all, like if you were general admission, not general admission, but general invitees were in one cinema, in Cinema 2. I saw other people who were special guests uh, in, with a thing around their neck, a lanyard that said Cinema 4, so they were in a different cinema. And I'm guessing there were other cinemas, you know, at least two or three, because we all came out at the same time, and I saw people piling out from different doors from different cinemas. So there would have at least been, you know, a th oh, couple of thousand people, I guess, or, or you know, a thousand people at least, uh, throughout the different cinemas uh, in the complex watching the movie at the same time. And so the actors would have gone into each one and said a similar thing on microphone to, to each audience. So many more people than were at the oh, New yeah. York. Many yep. more people. And uh, it was a 3D. It was uh, the, uh, you know, a very good cinema that had lush seats. So they were, it was, I was really impressed. It was a, a very well put together premiere with uh, massive posters and displays uh, throughout the, the, the foyer and lobby of the, of the cinema complex. Uh, and all the media around, uh, you know, taking photos. They had different boards where the stars could stand in front of to take different uh, photos. They had a, a life-size uh, statue of Henry Cavill uh, in up near our cinema, the doors that we went into. I've taken a photo next to that. So I thought it was really well done, and I actually get, got to grab one of the core flute signs as they were packing it up, as we were coming it out and uh, coming out of the cinema. They were taking them down, and I said, can I grab one of those? And the guy handed it to me, and I walked out with it. That's excellent. Oh, <laughs> uh, and Steve and Carol and Jeffrey and I went to the premiere in New York City. Afterwards, we were taking, we mentioned this before, to an after party uh, where we saw a lot of the stars but didn't really get a chance to get incredibly close up with many of them. I had I had a little experience. Uh, Steve pointed out to me that Kevin Costner had come into the back and we hadn't seen him before that point. And so I wanted to go. You were getting ready to leave and I wanted to go and see if I could, you know, talk to him or see him or anything like that. And I went over there and I was kind of hovering around that area. And, and uh, uh, as I was saying earlier, kind of all the stars were kind of surrounded by normal people. And then they also had a security person or a handler type person. And Kevin Costner was actually sitting on the outside of the group of people, which was different from the other stars who were kind of inside and surrounded. Um, but then there was there was this very pretty modely uh, type woman sitting on the opposite side. And I, I distinctly heard her say and look at me as she said it who's this guy and kind of like <laughs> nod her head toward me and look to the guy next to her and i was like uh hi <laughs> uh, because i knew they were talking about me and looking at me and uh <laughs> 
two seconds after that, the handler security guy comes over and goes, uh, can I help you? Oh, yes. Um, I was just kind of hoping to maybe get a word to, uh, to, to Mr. Costner and, and, and just say uh, how much I like the film. And, well, um, uh, Mr. Costner is very busy right now. He's having a conversation with some people, but he will be getting up shortly. So maybe that's a time that you could approach him. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I kind of just came back to where you guys were. And later on, it actually turns out that on his way out, he uh, he had his arm around the woman who right. je- is just him and her. I, so I assumed that was his wife. Um, and, and they walked out and, and he actually did stop for a moment. And I was talking to two other people and Jeffrey and uh, the four of us got to shake his hand. And he oh, was nice. very um, – he didn't say anything or have a conversation with us other than thank you and and you know but he and he kept moving pretty quickly but but that was something yeah there you go you're, did you your brush with yeah. uh, with uh, somebody famous yes did you have anything like that after the film in uh, australia no there was no after party or anything like that uh i don't know if the stars even stuck around to watch the film they've probably seen it so many times themselves they would have gone into each cinema and was you know welcomed and thanked everybody and then maybe split after that and gone home i don't know um but uh yeah they're pulling down all the uh displays pretty quickly as we were you know marching out of the cinema so uh I, nothing like that happened afterwards that i know of but um the celebrities did take quite a lot of time on the black carpet uh going around signing autographs taking photos with fans uh speaking to the media uh so much so that they delayed the screening of the film by an hour so uh, I was wondering why we were waiting around so long. And then when they finally came in to welcome everybody personally, I understood that the film was being delayed because of the fact that the stars were supposed to be coming in and saying a personal hello to everybody. I think the same thing kind of happened in New York. We were supposed to start at 7 and it was 7.45 or mm. something by the mm. time it actually got underway because I think there's a lot of stuff going on and they don't exactly know how long it's going to take. Yeah. But it, it takes a little longer. I'm surprised you didn't say, uh, uh, could I have one of those um, one of those life-sized uh, Henry Cavill <laughs> statues on the way out here? They probably would have given it to you based on your experience that you did have getting whatever you asked for. Um, and, of course, carry it out. Uh, maybe. Uh, you and I and, and Carol and Jeffrey and, 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 and uh, Neil Cole from the uh, – uh, what page is that Superman he's from? Superman Super Sight. There you go. Superman, super side, little plug for Neil. He was there right next to us. And so, of course, you and I and all those people had an, an excellent experience of first seeing Man of Steel, which mm. brings us to our big question, which was how, uh, when, and where will you be seeing uh, Man of Steel? Let's start with the big question. Yes, and, uh, we asked yeah. this last month, so uh, hopefully everybody who uh, has now gone to see the film uh, was able to uh, to experience that. But this is their answers uh, before uh, the film actually had been released. Jeremy Crawford wrote, I'm going to see Man of Steel in 2D with my dad and brother-in-law, who, like me, are Superman fans. Well, well done, Jeremy. Now, Hector also writes in, he says, I'm planning on watching the movie with my family in 2D. This will be great as I introduce my family to the world of Superman and understand why I'm such a big fan and maybe make them fans as well. I hope so, because that's what I'm always looking for, trying to get new people uh, indoctrinated. Yep. Uh, Dustin Hayden wrote, I'm going to be seeing Man of Steel at the early Walmart showing in 2D with my wife, who is not a fan, but is going because she loves me. She is probably just as glad as I am for this, just so I will stop talking about it. My dad is going. He's the one that got me into comics around the death of Superman. Lastly, one of my best friends. Uh, He is a big movie fan like me. 
Cool. Very good. Sounds like he's getting everybody involved there. Heath Myers writes, Hey, what's up, Steve and Scotty? We'll be watching Man of Steel on opening night at my local Carmike 18 movie theatre located in the super awesome shopping centre named Metropolis. First time around, I'll be watching in standard 2D, but seeing as how this is going to be incredibly epic, I'll definitely watch it in 3D the second time around. I'll be accompanied by my wife, whom went with me two weeks prior to the release to buy T-shirts featuring the art of one, of, one and only Jim Lee. Yes, Jim Lee has definitely put out some epic images over the years. Chris Morgan wrote, uh, My family and I have pre-ordered Man of Steel tickets to see in IMAX 3D. Would prefer to watch in just IMAX, but will no doubt see it in 3D, IMAX, IMAX 3D, and regular version all within a week. My pay won't last long this month. Keep up the good work, boys. It's a really incredible job you do, and keep our Superman cravings fed, even when there is no Hollywood blockbuster on the horizon. Ah, Thank you, Chris. Very kind of you. Appreciate that. Rick Ruiz writes, I'll be watching Man of Steel on opening day by myself. That's right. I need to watch it without having to answer questions or explain what's happening and why. I plan to enjoy the whole experience in 2D. Then on Saturday and Sunday, I have my dates lined up for IMAX 3D and VIP Lounge. It will be a super weekend. So excited. I just can't wait. Brandon Whitmore writes, I will be seeing the 7 o'clock advanced screening in uh, the uh, IMAX 3D in Indianapolis. With he writes Limax, as in uh, not, not made in, uh, in, in 3D. Oh, I see. I, I wasn't exactly sure what that was. I thought maybe it was a typo. Uh, he's going to be seeing it in Indianapolis with one of his best friends and his girlfriend. He says, if I end up enjoying it as much as I anticipate, I'll buy a ticket to a midnight showing on the way out and see it again later that evening. Very good, Brandon. I actually met Brandon in Metropolis at the Superman celebration. Uh, it was great awesome. hanging out with him for a while. Uh, Argent L writes, Hi Steve, Scotty, welcome back from your brush with greatness. I'm so jealous of both of you. Uh, well, um, uh, ho hopefully you got to experience it along with us in some capacity through the website. Uh, she goes on to say, I was lucky, crazy enough to book July 14th as a vacation day months and months ago, so I got to see Man of Steel bright and early at 11am on the Friday, and I'm going again tomorrow, a scant 48 hours from the initial mind-blowing experience. She says, I saw it in, 3D, in 2D, and we'll see it again in 2D as I wear glasses, and another set of glasses makes it 4D, which scares me, as that could be considered a mixed-spitalic territory, and I won't cry Beetlejuice three times. Anyhow, I can't wait to see it again. Thank you. I think she means... June 14th, although yes. she wrote in July 14th. Yes. Um, thank you, Argent. Always a pleasure to uh, read your uh, write-ins every week, uh, one of our regular write-ins and, and listeners, so it's great to have you around. Uh, Bardo Sosa wrote, Hi, Super Steve and Super Scotty. To answer the question of where and whom I will watch the Man of Steel with, I scored two tickets for my girlfriend and I on Thursday's Walmart 7 o'clock premiere. Then we head over to IMAX Navy Pier midnight showing. After the midnight showing, I went home, passed out and then got up and met with a group of 10 co-workers for the 7 p.m. showing the next day. All of this incredible viewing was done in Chicago, Illinois with a within a 24-hour period. Wow. So I, I did my part to help the movie go over 200 million worldwide. It seems like you have to watch The Man of Steel at least twice. When I viewed it the first time, I didn't know what to think and feel, but after the second viewing, it was wonderful. If you have a chance to watch this movie, I highly recommend IMAX. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Bardo. Uh, yeah, definitely worth seeing multiple times this film. Catherine McLean writes, Man of Steel doesn't release until June 27th in Hong Kong, with a sad face. I subscribed to a cinema website to notify me when advance tickets would be on sale ASAP, but the day tickets went on sale, I didn't get one email from them. When I checked the website, the best seats for IMAX were already taken. I was surprised how quickly that happened, so I got the far back seats to the right from the centre, which was the spot I was aiming for anyway. Still, I think I will still have a blast. I will go with two friends and a pretty girl. 
Nice. Oh, pretty girl. That's definitely uh, an awesome way to see the movie. Um, Mikey B has once again sent in his answer as an audio file, which you can also do, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's hear what Mikey had to say. Hey, Steve. Hey, Scotty. It's Mikey B. Well, I saw your tweets from the premiere, and Scotty had mentioned that it might it was the greatest film he'd ever seen, and uh, I remember Steve later tweeted maybe a day or so later, don't worry about some of their critical reviews. And, uh, well, anyway, you guys are right. This was everything I ever wanted in a Superman movie. I loved it. It's, it, it, it's perfect. It, you know, my, my only thing was, when can I see this again? I, you know, that was my only concern. Um, but anyway, the question, um, saw it three times. First time in 2D with my father on Friday. Uh, the next day, Saturday, um, Went to see it with my wife and kids at the drive-in. Uh, my youngest was a touch scared, but my oldest was was thrilled and just bouncing around the car, really excited. And and, and my wife enjoyed it too. Uh, third time was myself, another 2D showing. Um, I plan to try and check it out one or two more times while it's in release. And I guess I'm going to have to check out a 3D screen just to make sure I'm not missing anything, even though I'm not generally a fan of 3D. But... Uh, I might check it out at least once that way. Anyway, guys, uh, you, you do an awesome job. Take care. Thanks. Well, thank you, Mikey. Always great to hear from you. And uh, our new big question for this month is uh, going on the same track, and it is, what do you think of Man of Steel? So now that you've seen it, what are your thoughts? What are you, what's your review? Uh, well, now that you asked me, Steve, I yes. think I'll start to, to explain to you what I what I thought of Man of Steel. Let's start the whole show over. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully our fans and our readers and our listeners will be a little bit more uh, succinct in their uh, replies. They don't have as much time as we've had to explain how we think and our thoughts on the Man of Steel. But they can get involved with the next with the next big question segment. And how do they do that, Scott? Well, you can you can write us in. You can write uh, Steve at uh, Steve at supermanhomepage.com or you can write to me, Scotty, at supermanhomepage.com. You can answer the new big question or you can click on the new big question button on the Superman homepage to answer what did you think of the Man of Steel. You can also send in your audio file via MP3, the same as Mikey B did, to either of those uh, uh, emails as well. Yep, fantastic. So get involved with the big question segment of the show. And now it's time for the super secret soundbite. Last my sound, last month's sound came from the movie Superman Returns. Twelve people guessed it correctly. Who were they, Steve? They were Jeremy Crawford, Dave Booth, Nelda Mormon, Sergio, Trenton Brewer, Fred Walsh, Ismail Perez, Justin Hayden, Seth No, Rick Ruiz, Bardo Sosa, and Kelvin Rodriguez. Mm, a lot of people this month. A yes. couple of names I don't recognize, too. Yeah. Well done to those, to those 12 people. Uh, let's see if they and more people can guess where in the world of Superman this new super secret soundbite comes from. Form of an ice unicycle. Well, if you think you know where in the world of Superman that sound came from, use the super secret soundbite entry form found at the Superman homepage and send your entry in. Each person I, who, of course. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, each course. person who gets it right will have their name read out in our next show. Oh, what an exciting prize. <laughs> <laughs> I, of course, think that that soundbite is from the already filming Man of Steel 2, which has already been written, is already filming, and will be out next summer in 2014, according mm. to a lot of rumors. 
So uh, get involved with the super secret soundbite and see if you can get uh, get that uh, sound, if you can uh, guess where it's from. By the way, have you seen that uh, that little uh, write-up, that little rumor? I forget which page it came from, but it, it did come from an actual um, mm. Hollywood reporter type thing or a thing that actually has some sort of, you know, respectability yeah, behind credibility. it. Credibility, the and they're saying you know, Man of Steel in 2014 and Justice League in 2015. Yeah, is that even? I mean, is there <laughs> is that any possible? possible that could even be possible? I, I mean. Don't. You know, unless they already had a script and they were filming before we even knew it. But, I mean, it took a, a, an incredible amount of time to, to even prepare for Man of Steel. Mm. Then they were finished almost two years ago to do behind-the-scenes stuff and effects and all that. Yeah, and it took them this long to release the movie. I, I don't see there being any possibility Maybe. with no script, no shooting schedule, no cast, no idea of what's going on to have any any way to even get close to I would say the closest we could possibly get would be uh, 2015 and based on the shooting schedule for this movie that even seems too close. Yeah, look maybe they thinking that Man is still number 2 or whatever the sequel will be called will start filming in 2014. That's definitely the possibility and then Justice League start filming in 2015. Definitely, that's a possibility, but there's no way that Man of Steel, or the sequel, will be out next year. That's just uh, that's fairyland stuff. Yes, maybe it was written wrongly, or someone misquoted it, or yeah. But it makes more sense that they may very well begin shooting in 2014. Yeah. Now, our Superman song this month comes from a woman that you and I both met. We spoke about her earlier in the show, uh, Alison Crow. She stars in, or she makes a cameo appearance in Man of Steel. Uh, she's a great friend of the website. Uh, interview forthcoming with Alison will be put, posted on the website uh, soon, if it's not already up there by the time you're listening to this. Uh, and while it's not a Superman song as such, uh, it is a song that she played live in concert uh, Zack Snyder and his wife Debbie Snyder were in the audience and she dedicated this to them. She couldn't exactly say why she was dedicating it to them because at the time her role and her cameo appearance in Man of Steel was under wraps. And, but she, you can hear her at the beginning of this uh, dedicating this song to Zack and Debbie and it's her rendition of the song Hallelujah. I'm going to dedicate this one tonight to Zach and Debbie and everyone um, with Adam Frost. And uh, this is a song by Leonard Cohen. Um, and if you know it, feel free to sing along.
Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to a kitchen chair. She broke your throat. have it uh, thank you to Alison Crow and her manager Adrian for allowing us to play that song here on Radio KAL you can check out more of Alison's work uh, she's a fantastic musician a fantastic person her website is alisoncrow.com that's a double dot com.
Beautiful uh, performance and uh, a great girl. As, as we said earlier, we talked to her and uh, uh, just great to have that personal connection uh, through the website and, and uh, that, that she really likes the site and, and was really interested in, in being involved and, and, and being in the movie and, of course, uh, having us play this song for her. Okay, well, that is our show for this month. Uh, it uh, was a Man of Steel, obviously, show uh, dedicated solely to the movie. We will get back to a regular show next month and talk about comics and TV and everything else going on in the world of Superman. Uh, we didn't even get to mention the Superman celebration, uh, which I was at in this past month, but we will touch on that next month. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Steve, and thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, head out and see Man of Steel as many times as you can. Yes, and don't forget that if you want to get involved in this show, if there is a topic you think Scotty and I should discuss in a future podcast, if you think there's a song that we should be playing here, if you think that there is a big question that we should be asking of the fans, all those suggestions can be sent to us. You can email Scotty at his email address, which is scotty at supermanhomepage.com. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is steve at supermanhomepage.com or you can use the KAL feedback form found at the website. But for now, that's our show. Thank you, Scotty. Thanks, Steve. Everybody, look up in the sky. You've been listening to Radio KAL, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. (laughs) 